This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 81, the 26th part of the 100-mile history. In this episode, I will tell the story of the 1978 Western States 100, the second year the iconic race was held in the Sierra. Western States Endurance Run will be run again this week for the 43rd year. There's gold in them die hills. The 1978 Western States 100 was the second year the race was held. Six years earlier, seven soldiers from Fort Riley, Kansas, proved that the horse trail could be conquered on foot, and they were awarded with the first Finishers on Foot trophy by Western States founder Wendell Roby. Two years later, in 1974, Gordy Ainsley surprised his horse endurance peers when he ran the 89-mile Western States Trail in less than 24 hours. Three years later, in 1977, Roby decided it was time to organize a foot race on his trail. The inaugural race was hastily put together by a few volunteers who had horse endurance race experience but did not have much experience with human running races. The 1977 race was mostly self-supported and fairly dangerous in very high temperatures. They were lucky that there were no serious heat-related emergencies, and only three of the 16 starters finished. Planning for the 1978 Western States 100 run became more serious and was much better organized. The 1978 race should be considered as the first fully supported Western States endurance run, which gave all entrants a good chance to finish. A Western States endurance run board of governors was formally organized by race founder Wendell Roby. The four members, affectionately called the Gang of Four, were all horse endurance riders still learning what ultra running was all about. They were Philip and Shannon Gardner and Kurt and Mo Sproul. They blazed ahead into history to put together a mountain ultra that many other key 100 milers would mimic. Because of difficulties experienced in 1977 with both runners and horses on the same trail, especially with single track sections, the run was moved to the month before the Tevis Cup, Western States Trail Ride, on June 24, 1978. Shannon Gardner worked at Roby's Bank, made contacts to get the word out, and fielded calls from interested runners. Marketing for the run was mostly by word of mouth, but in a 1978 Runner's World magazine, an advertisement was included that read, Western States 100-mile endurance run. An experience only for ultramarathon veterans. Coarse, rugged, uncertified over mountains, through streams, with snakes and bears. All entries must pass a physical exam. No one under 18. 30-hour limit. The entrance fee was $10. Mo Sproul explained, We did try to make our publications as top drawer as we could, so that we presented an organized face to the outside world, even though a lot of it was done in my kitchen or on Shannon's desk. 
The race organizers started to prop up the legend of Gordy Ainsley, and numerous news articles erroneously stated that he was the first person to cover the course on foot. They purposely decided to make no mention of the soldiers of Fort Riley, Kansas, who completed the course on foot during the Tevis Cup in 1972, and were given the first finishers on foot trophy from Wendell Roby. Instead, Ainsley, one of their own, would be given all the credit as being the first finisher. The 1978 Western States marketing hype also stated that the race was the toughest endurance race in the country, which it probably was that year, but also misled the naive California news media that running 100 milers was something new and that the race invented the idea of running ultras on trails. They did not. started the sport of ultramarathon trail running, or as we say, trail ultra running. Uh, no you didn't, Gordy. Trail ultras and 100 milers already existed long before 1974. How about the founder of trail ultra running? I mean, that's fine. No, sorry, that isn't true either. The Western States organizers were unaware of the more than 1,000 other runners throughout the world who had finished 100 miles in less than 24 hours in previous years on other courses, track, road, and trail. The goal of the marketing attention was to gain qualified entrants and to make Auburn, California the, quote, endurance capital of the world. The race staff tried hard to be well prepared, but admitted that it was still thrown together with the hope that it would succeed that year. They still had not made any attempts to measure the course, just trusting that it was about 100 miles. In reality, it was far from that distance. The 1977-79 to 79 course stood at 89 miles. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Yes, no more than 89 miles. For the previous race in 1977, there were no formal aid stations, but for 1978, at least 12 aid stations were set up, including six medical checkpoints. Phil Gardner, on the run board, was an engineer. He knew the trail very well, handled all the logistics, and figured out where all the aid stations should be. The aid station volunteers were mostly all endurance riders, lacking any experience with ultra running but brought to the race good experience with enduring outdoor elements. At most of the aid stations, they only served water, cookies, and fruit. The in-town stations also stocked ERG, ERG, an electrolyte replacement and glucose drink. Moe Sproul and Shannon Gardner served as co-race directors. They became collectively known as Moshan. Years later, John Trent, who became the runs board president, said of Moe, Without her presence, along with a couple other people at a key juncture in the late 1970s, Western states wouldn't exist. So much of who we are, especially the spirit, and how we try to find common ground as a board, has to do with Mo. The overall cutoff time for the race was increased from 24 hours to 30 hours. The race board felt that only extraordinary young athletes could finish in under 24 hours. Mo Sproul suggested that they make the cutoff 30 hours, and everyone agreed. Thus, the 30-hour finish standard was established that would be used for many ultras. 
A silver belt buckle with the figure of Hermes, messenger of the gods, etched on it, was awarded to those who finished within 24 hours. Swift-footed Hermes glides as fast as thought between the summit of Mount Olympus down to the world of us mortals. Those under 30 hours received a wooden plaque. I don't want a plaque. I want one of those sweet belt buckles. Medical checks were again supervised by Dr. Bob Lind, who was still learning about ultra runners. Runners were told if they lost 10% of their weight, they would be removed from the race. You gotta listen to the doctor, just like you want to. The finish line that year was at Placer High School track because the fair was being held at the fairgrounds. The weather for the 1978 race was mild, but there was significant deep snow in the high country to run over, about 15 miles of it. There were 63 starters, including five women. The California media highlighted some of these runners before the race. And now for tonight's starting lineups. Dan Hounchell, age 21, was from Roseville, California. He had run in the Boston Marathon and said, I've been wondering about my sanity each morning. It's the first thing that I think about. I keep thinking of ways I can get out of it. Get me out of here! Jeff Nakama, 23, was from Maui, Hawaii. He was a dietetic and physical education student at Chico State University in California. He trained by running up and down the stairs in the college dorms 101 times in a day. Walt Stack, age 70, was a legendary runner from San Francisco. The odds are the mountain range will beat him. Stack, who runs three hours, bicycles one and a half hours, and swims a half hour daily, is confident he can make the grueling run from Squaw Valley. Stack had been doing some training on trails. He said, It is the running at night and maybe rattlesnakes that will bother me. The last time I was on the trail, I saw two. Bob Souter, age 38, also known as Ranger Bob, was from Meadow Vista, California, near Auburn. He had been tied to an office job and was overweight, and in 1970 took up jogging on a tiny indoor track in San Francisco. He then started to run some of the Bay Area races and ran in two marathons. When asked why Western States, he replied, For the competitiveness and the physical challenge. He had been working hard since February, doing weekend runs up to 60 miles on the Western States Trail, at times with Gordy Ainsley. Pat Smythe and Mary Healy were from Napa, California. Smythe grew up in Vancouver, Washington, and started to run recreationally in college to lose weight. She said, I wasn't in it for the competition. My running was something that was really personal. While working as a secretary at a school district, she met Healy, who had organized Women on the Run to teach the basics of running to women in the San Francisco Bay Area, and Smythe joined her to lead the group. Healy had experience running marathons and told Smythe about Western states. They did not know that many women had run previously 100 miles in ultras, but wanted to make a statement and said, We believe that women can go the distance. Women have been running marathons for years. Two 18-year-old twins were among the starters, Karen and Peggy Stock of Redwood City, California. They both had good experience running in 50-mile road races. Ken Cowman Shirk, age 34, 
originally a farm boy from Salinas, California, had signed up to run again. Oh, the farmer and the cowman should be friends. One man likes to push a plow, the other likes to chase a cow, but that's no reason why they can't be friends. He had accomplished a solo run on the Western States Trail in 1976 in 24 hours, 20 minutes, but did not finish the official 1977 race at about mile 48. Gordy Ainsley, age 31, the emerging marketing icon of Western States, was entered, looking for his first official ultramarathon race finish. He had been the eighth person to cover the Western States Trail on foot during the Tevis Cup, the first to do it in less than 24 hours. He admitted that he was not in his best physical condition for the 1978 race because he had not trained very much and said, It takes three months of hard running to be in shape. Doug Latimer, age 40, from Redwood City, California, was a magazine editor from Runner's World magazine. He had a best marathon time of 2 hours 38 minutes. He had been training only about 45 miles per week, and this would be his first ultra. How did you find out about the race, and what compelled you to sign up? It was very simple. Um, I had just moved out from, California to, from New York to California, and I had taken the job as vice president and general manager of Runner's World. Oh. Okay. And it, that was a strange place. Um, I stayed there for a year and then moved on. But our marketing director was a wonderful character named Phil Lenihan, and right. he was also a runner. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in my office one day, uh, and I, I heard someone excitedly saying, Doug, 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 and I heard running footsteps coming down the corridor. And here was Phil, and he had just been out in the back room where the editorial staff was working, and he had galley proofs of the next issue of Runner's World. And he said, Duck, look at this, look at this, and he showed me a spread that was Red Star Ridge with two horses and two runners on it in, mm -hmm. in the first edition of the Western States Run, there were, I think, 13 or 11 runners. And Phil said, Doug, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. And I have to admit that it looked really exciting, mm -hmm. but I thought it was about 100 miles in the Sierras. Uh, kind of, you know, <laughs> a challenge. And I didn't think anything more about it. And about two weeks later, Phil came running down to my office and he said, Doug, I entered us both. <laughs> I took care of it for you. Wow. Jim Howard, age 23, of Applegate, California, was a very experienced runner who was a cross-country champion at Elk Grove High School and set course records in college. I ran uh, cross-country and track through high school and college. Then I did marathons. I did my first marathon um, in high school at uh, 2.32. And in 1978, won the AAU 50K race held in Davis, California. He graduated from college in 1978 and was interested in taking his speed to the mountain trails in the Sierra. He clearly had the greatest running speed among the field and believed he could win Western states. Andy Gonzalez, age 23, of Colfax, California, was the defending Western states champion. He had discovered his love for running in 1974 while serving in the Navy in Italy. On a whim, he joined in to run the 1977 Western States Run and came away with the win. He knew the course better than anyone. He had been training very hard in the mountains and wanted to win again. There isn't a day that goes by that, in some respect, I don't think about that experience. It'll stay with me the rest of my life. 
peaks in my dreams. I love these mountains, and the trail runs through it. The race started on June 24, 1978, at 5 a.m. Gonzalez and Howard took the early lead. They climbed up and over the snow above Squaw Valley together. The sun cups, running over the snow, the sun cups were like, oh, 18 inches across, and it was slip and slide, slip and slide. So going over the snow, slipped really slow. The first aid station in 78 was at uh, Red Star Ridge. And it was a heavy snow year, and in those days we didn't have a snow course, which is one thing I don't approve of. And that's 16 uh, miles, right? So that's Yeah, six, 16 miles. Deep, deep, deep snow, and Wendell Roby wearing boots up to here with a snowmobile with a bucket of water and a ladle. <laughs> and he said, hey, Latimer, you want, some, you want some water? And I said, sure. So he handed me the ladle, and I drank a cup and put it back in. And mm -hmm. Thanks, Wendell, and I ran on. <laughs> one ladle per um, runner. Kate <laughs> only had one bucket from the 69 people coming through, so sure. probably, yeah. Sure. But, you know, just one guy standing in the snow with hip boots and, and, and a bucket. Gonzalez was dressed very skimpily. He took a pair of running shorts and cut off the outer layer, looking like he ran in a speedo. <coughs> Tony Strada, a Navy veteran, came from San Francisco and arrived late. Because he didn't have anyone to take his sweater and flight bag with his dress shoes to the finish, he carried the bag 30 miles to Robinson Flat. Near Michigan Bluff, Gonzalez caught up to Howard, who was laying on the side of the trail, suffering. Gonzalez offered to help, but Howard declined, was surprised, and a bit in awe of Gonzalez's ability to catch up to him. They later ran together for a while, building up a huge lead, but both got lost during the night for a significant amount of time. The trail was still poorly marked in places. It was reported. The trail went through snow, dirt, shale, loose rocks, and the talcum powder Sierra dust that choked runners. They carried flashlights at night and forged the knee-high American River at dawn when the current was strong and the water cold. Some of the runners were paced by horseback riders. The two women, Smythe and Healy, ran together with Phil Lenahan of San Jose, California, a marketing manager at Runner's World. He had finished the Boston Marathon in 3 hours 12 minutes and believed that by running with the women that he could finish. They worked hard at keeping up a constant pace and stopped less often than they had planned. Healy said, We learned a lot about ourselves. Figuring out the right clothing to wear was a challenge. Smythe started off wearing a wool sweater, but perspiration quickly made that heavy. She said, The funny thing was we didn't get tired. The fatigue never hit me. Healy dropped out at Robinson Flat, mile 30, due to altitude sickness. Smythe and Lenahan ran on, but slowed to a pace that the aid station volunteers thought would not allow them to make it to Auburn in time. Lenahan, confident, replied, Radio ahead and have our plaques ready for us. As Smythe ran along, an old miner on the course approached her and said, I've heard about you. I've got something for you. He then gave her a little gold nugget. Smythe planned to make it into a pendant. The mild temperatures that year really helped the runners. Dr. Lind said, We were pretty lucky. We didn't have any serious mishaps during the run. I really had a lot of fears about taking this one on. It was so enticing though. I couldn't pass it by. 
These are some of the nicest people I've ever been associated with in an athletic event. They can't do enough for you. There is a great deal of harmony and closeness. Gonzalez crushed his course record by four hours, finishing at Placer High School for a winning time of 18 hours, 50 minutes, surprising race volunteers with how fast he completed the course. Dr. Lind was very impressed and said, I don't think his time will be broken for several centuries. Phenomenal! Bob Bunnell of San Rafael finished second in 19 hours, 48 minutes, and John Capis of Los Alamos, New Mexico, finished third in 19 hours, 49 minutes, avenging his 1978 68-mile DNF. Capis said, You have to be in superior condition to even think about running Western States. Anybody that finishes is a winner. Cowman and Ainsley finished together in ninth place with 22 hours, 39 minutes. Ainsley was accompanied by his girlfriend's dog Merlin the entire way, an Australian shepherd. Sixteen runners finished within 24 hours, earning the Hermes belt buckle, and 12 more finished within 30 hours. With six miles to go, Pat Smythe realized that she would be the first woman to finish Western States. She recalled, I toughened here, my concentration increased, and we picked up the pace. Along with Lenahan, they ran the last mile to Auburn High School together along with some pacers. Smythe, ready to be the first woman to finish Western States, grabbed Lenahan's hand. She said, We sprinted that last quarter mile. I didn't have to keep my eyes on the ground because I knew where I was going, and I was getting there first. She became the first woman to finish Western States with a time of 29 hours, 34 minutes. The 1978 Western States turned out to be Smythe's last competitive running race finish as she stopped running in 1982. Four decades later, she reflected, It's always just been a real personal thing, a real quiet thing that has stayed with me. I'm grateful that I was able to do it, and I love my body for its effort in pulling through for me. Steve Mason, age 30, of Reno, California, lost the trail at 3 a.m. with only nine miles to go and probably would have finished in under 24 hours. He became lost for six hours, stranded on a cliff above the American River. Help me! As soon as the race officials realized that he was missing, search and rescue, both from El Dorado and, and Placer counties, were called out and started combing the hills for him. His wife, Jane Mason, greatly worried. She reported, Steve was found after almost six hours by some young people on horseback who alerted the rescue team. Fortunately, he was not injured beyond a little hunger and thirst. Mason was escorted back to civilization and examined by Dr. Lynn, who pronounced that he was in good shape to finish the race if he wanted. His wife expressed much appreciation. She shared the good news. With the help of John Keesler, who donned on his track shoes and paced Steve the last miles of the race, my husband was able to finish within the 30 hours, 29 hours, 38 minutes, and experienced the feeling of accomplishing something for which he had trained for months. Lynn said Mason turned tragedy into triumph. 70-year-old Walt Stack also lost the trail for a while and finished in 38 hours, 47 minutes, along with Jim Faust. They were listed in the official results for some reason. Stack described his experience. It was by far the hardest race for me. 18 miles of the course was on snow. 
We had to run through creeks and get our feet wet. There was no running trails, just horse trails. People ask me how I keep my teeth from chattering in the wintertime. I leave them in my locker. 18-year-old twins Peggy and Karen Stock also got lost about mile 92. Peggy said, You get what's called the runner's days. The rocks looked like they were playing a movie, and I clearly heard the river talking. Hallucinations are completely different. They don't seem to be of our creation. They don't seem to be under control. They seem to come from the outside and to mimic perception. They were eventually found by some campers who led them out of the woods, and they arrived at Auburn in 37 hours, but sadly were not listed in the results for some reason, even though Stack was. Reports about the 1978 Western States 100 were pretty much limited to Northern California newspapers, but existing mainstream ultra-running did take notice as a paragraph was included in Nick Marshall's 1978 ultra-distance summary. Marshall reported about the California race. Numerous horror stories about the extremely rugged conditions faced them on the uncertified point-to-point course through the Sierra Nevada and served to whet the appetites of the adventuresome souls. He went on to recognize it as the most difficult run in America. At the finish, Shannon Gardner said that the finishers looked brutalized, but the race that year was a huge success. Roby was ecstatic and told Gardner that they had caught a bear by the tail. He knew the race would become a very big deal. It was proclaimed that with both the ride and the run, that Auburn was the endurance capital of the world. The run did take off. Other Mountain Trail 100 race organizers soon contacted Shannon Gardner, including Old Dominion and Wasatch Front, to pick her brain about organizing and conducting Trail 100s. Stay tuned for more 100 Miler history. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.